Oh, you're having a laugh. You're having a laugh. I can't believe this bloody game. It's not a penalty anyway. And now De Gea's jumped off the bloody line a bit. You're having a bloody laugh. Come on. Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Well, there were just the 39 goals scored in the Premier League this weekend, along with a blockbuster clash at the bridge, a big upset at Old Trafford, and heaps of controversy along the way. I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast, and I'm joined this week by Alex Mott. Hello. And Podrick Whelan. Hello. Lads, it's the 200th episode of the One Football Podcast, can you believe it? Ah. I thought you might like to take this opportunity to share some of your favourite podcast memories. Alex, do you want to go first? (laughs) They're all my (laughs) favourite, It's not controversial, Dan, to call this the, the 200th. I mean, <laughs> yeah. technically, is it not number two? I, I don't want to don't wanna step on any further. But. <laughs> I'll leave that for the lawyers to decide, shall I? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we've got loads to get through, and we'll start this week with the biggest game of the weekend, which took place at Stamford Bridge on Sunday. Uh, first up, I have more of a comment than a question for you, and it comes from Jeff Waddell on Twitter. He says, while Chelsea haven't addressed their obvious problems, and indeed haven't improved despite the money spent, I wasn't impressed with Liverpool. Alex, discuss. I think that's incredibly harsh, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff is a hard man to please, isn't he? Yeah, no, clearly. Know. I thought, I mean, obviously it was a bit of a tight game before the, the sending off, but I thought Liverpool played pretty well, to be honest. The front three were, were excellent again. I thought Roberto Firmino was just superb and proved, and proved why he's probably the best number nine in the Premier League at the moment with his movement and just the way he conducted everything. And then, yeah, Thiago coming on um, was also really impressive on his debut. So, yeah, I think that's incredibly harsh, to be honest. I thought, yeah, Liverpool showed that they're the best team in the Premier League at the moment. So, yeah, I can't agree with that, I'm afraid. Yeah, it was a bit of a crap game until the sending off, really. But I thought Liverpool came out in the second half with a kind of determination to go and win the game, which you don't see from every team, you know, when they're, they're up against 10 men. You, you know, another a lesser team might have sort of drifted through that second half. But Liverpool, you could just tell from the first, you know, whistle of the second half that they were ready to go and win it. And they were one they up within five minutes, weren't they? And there was no looking back. It was just total domination after that. Um, the, the, the red card we mentioned there, Andreas Christensen was sent off a hauling down Sadio Mane just before half time. Podrick, were you surprised? Referee Paul Tin even had to, had to check that one on the pitch side monitor? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I guess when you have VAR available now, you kind of, I suppose there's, there's no harm in checking it if, like, maybe Manny's just tried to buy it or something off him, but then obviously when you see it, I mean, I didn't think, like you were saying, I didn't think it looked like that anyway. I mean, you can clearly see the arm go around. I just didn't think it was actually one that he maybe had to make. I thought Kepa might have been just about to... To get there, but then obviously this is Kepa we're talking about, isn't it? Well, that, yeah, that is true. That's, and I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to him. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So maybe not. Maybe now Christensen knew exactly what he had to do. <laughs> on the subject of VAR, what do we make of this uh, this new rule where the referees' assistants are now keeping their flag down until the ball goes in the net when it comes to offsides? It seems a bit. It's going to take some getting used to, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is going to take some getting used to. Actually, I can sort of see the logic in it, but. Yeah, especially when there's like an extended period of play before the you know before the ball goes in the net, it seems a bit. Mm. Yeah, I'm not a massive fan of it, but I do understand the logic. Um, but also the new handball rule, I can't get my head around at all at the moment. So yeah, it's a bit of a confusing one, but no, I do get it a little bit. Yeah, more on that handball rule later <laughs> as well. <laughs> uh, so Liverpool went in front with a Sadio Mane goal early in the second half. It was soon 2-0 thanks to a horrendous error from Kepper. Jeremy Goldstein on Twitter asks, surely this is Kepper's last Chelsea appearance in the league for a while. Alex? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm surprised that Lampard went with him for these first two games, to be honest. Um, I know he went he gave Willie Caviero a go at the end of last season and that seemed to be working okay but yeah he was in some ways now I think I, I almost just feel sorry for him which is not what yeah. you want to be feeling towards a Premier League goalkeeper. he clearly just has no confidence whatsoever and you could see that second goal coming a mile off it was yeah just such an obvious mistake and yeah I, I yeah I can't see him playing again in the league now and I know um, Mendy's going to come in from Ren and I think that's going to happen this week so yeah it's um, it was a mistake to sign him for that much money whether the sort of whether the fee just was a bit too much you know and mentally he wasn't there from the beginning because of that and the pressure I don't know but 
yeah, he's um, yeah, it's just too many mistakes now, isn't it? I mean, it was too many mistakes last season, and yeah, it's way too many now. So yeah, yeah they, I think they've just got got to give up on him now. I'm afraid. Yeah, you mentioned Mendy there from Ren. That is a pretty pretty sure done deal by the sounds of things. But I believe yeah. he will have to quarantine for fourteen days oh, okay, when he comes right. in. So either Kepper is going to play in the Premier League again, or, or Willie Caballero might be getting a, a run out soon. But uh, yeah. yeah, interesting. Do you think he's the worst signing in Premier League history, Kepper? Um, he's pound certainly pound. got to be up there. I mean, Ali Dyer might have something to say about that. But, um... <laughs> Ali Dyer didn't cost seventy-one million pounds. <laughs> yeah, it? exactly. Yeah. I think for that money. Yeah, there can't be many worse. It's just Torres yeah, like is I said, the only one that maybe comes kind of close for you. Just think the money and stuff. Mm. Yeah, I, I just Both think the whether the money. Well. Sorry, Project. Yeah, whether the money was just too much for him. Yeah, the the pressure of being the record, the world record signing for a goalkeeper. I don't know, but. Yeah, there can't be many worse in Premier League history, I think. Yeah. Speaking of signings, what have you made of Chelsea's new signings, Timo Werner and Kai Havertz so far, Podrick? I thought uh, I thought actually Werner's been decent in both games. Uh, I thought he looked, he looked quite lively against Liverpool. Mm. He missed a sitter. I know he, he was offside anyway, but he didn't yeah. know that at the time. That was a bad miss, that wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, but then he had the one in the first half where he kind of beat a few guys in, on his left foot in the edge of the box. Mm. Kind of just went wide and he'd done all right. I think he's like movement and stuff. He's looked good and he's looked quite sharp in both the games. He's just apart from obviously, like you said, he had the the big chance that he didn't know the flag was up. Uh, Havertz is a maybe a little bit more of a worry for them, um, but then his substitution was probably obviously uh, not helped by by Christensen. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think he would have brought him off so soon if would- it hadn't been for Christensen. I would. I mean, yeah, I echo what Project said there. Vernon's look lively, but. I'm not sure what Chelsea are doing to accommodate them at the moment against Brighton and yesterday. They just seem to be pumping balls long. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, well, how is that going to get the best out of these those two players? I really, really don't know. And I don't know, Lampard sort of needs to have a think about this. And it worries me how sort of tactically naive he is in, in these sort of situations. They're like, Kepa just seems to be pumping it long the whole time. And they want Werner to get the flick ons or the second balls or whatever. I just, I don't know. It seems like a very odd tactic to be using when they've spent over a hundred million on two players. Yeah, and mm. that's not their game either. So, yeah. yeah, I'd be a little bit worried if I was a Chelsea fan. My preseason prediction that Frank Lampard is not going to last the season is looking quite good at the moment. Mm. It's the only prediction that I made that is looking quite good at the moment. <laughs> yeah. but, but we won't mention that. Uh, Thiago Alcantara made his Liverpool debut from the bench at half-time. What do you think of his display, Alex, and how big a signing is that for Liverpool? Yeah, I think this this is going to be the signing of the summer, I think, and maybe the best signing anywhere in Europe, to be honest. I think he gives a totally new dimension to their midfield. He, I, mean, it's, I mean, it's only 45 minutes, obviously, but he just totally controlled the game um, and he just allows Liverpool to keep possession which is but it's not a sterile possession it was you know every pass had a purpose and although Liverpool are weak in many areas you could say last season at some point sort of the midfield was overrun at times um, and yeah he's just going to add a totally new dimension for them I thought he was brilliant and the, you know, the more time he has in that midfield, the better he's going to get. It just it looks like such an exciting signing. Um, to be honest, I don't really know why they didn't do it sooner in yeah, the summer. They, yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously there were some negotiations to do by him, but I mean, I would have gone all out for him at the start of the summer. But um, yeah, it looks so exciting. If I was a Liverpool fan, I'd yeah be so pleased with yesterday. He just yeah. just looks like he was born to play in the Premier League, really. Which is yeah, it looks he looks amazing. Yeah, and that Liverpool had uh, Joel Matip and Joe Gomez both out injured yesterday, which meant Fabinho played alongside Van Dijk at centre back. I thought Fabinho had an excellent game. Yeah. Thiago being there means Fabinho can play there more often. So you know the, the centre back issues that we mentioned might have been a problem before the yeah, season. Well, yeah, are, are solved yeah, was, by a guy who's already there, basically, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we said that last week, didn't we? That maybe um, Liverpool could do with another centre back. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, like you say, Fabinho dropped any day. Looks. He looks really good at centre back. He comes out into the midfield and yeah, sort of gives them another dimension there. So yeah, it looks it looks good. That's yeah, I can't agree with Jeff from earlier. That's <laughs> right. I think really really good. <laughs> yeah, well, they signed uh, Diogo Jota from Wolves over the weekend as well. With that one, Podrick, would you say Liverpool are now heavy favourites for the title rather than just slight favourites? Uh, I'm not sure. Like Jota pushes them over the edge, but like you guys were saying there, I think it's the Thiago one that does, and then Jota's just. I think he's just he's probably better back up 
than what they had there at the moment, like Origi or Shakiri, who doesn't seem to get a look in at all anymore anyway, but I think he's probably a better option. Like he's he's quick, he just moves really well. Like you just see defenders are just never quite sure what way kinda he's gonna go and he's he's really impressed me last season. Mm. And he's also done, I think, a Premier League champion, isn't he? Because remember at the very start of lockdown that nonsense FIFA tournament that they did. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right, yeah. yeah. Yacht is actually the best <laughs> FIFA player in the Premier League, so he's already got title-winning experience. <laughs> Maybe that's why they bought him for the eSports League as well. He's, he's sort of <laughs> exactly. uh, played double role. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Manchester City are already six points behind Liverpool. Uh, Alex, do you think that could have a psychological effect on City, even going into tonight's game with Wolves? I'd, I mean, yeah, you make a good point. I, and they lost twice. To I'm fuming Wolves, about though. this. Fuming yeah, they, about lost, it. they lost twice to Wolves last season. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's... In a league where it could potentially go down to one or two points, yeah, it could have a really, really big effect. Tonight's going to be a really interesting game, actually, because of that. Um, yeah, maybe. I don't. I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. The first game of the season, who knows? But yeah, six points is could. You know, I mean, it obviously wasn't last season, but six points could be, you know, a huge gap to Real Liverpool in if they play as well as they did last time out. So yeah, potentially. Yeah. City haven't even kicked the ball this season. I'm already fed up. <laughs> it's going to be a long season, I think. <laughs> uh, well, the big surprise of the weekend took place at Old Trafford on Saturday evening when Manchester United began their season with a 3-1 defeat to Crystal Palace. Uh, complaints from United fans about the club not getting the players they need seems to have become pretty much an annual event now. But can they really blame this performance and the result of a lack of summer signings, Podrick? No, definitely not. Like For me, I don't think that you can look at any signings that they did or didn't make and say that, that that had an impact because that the two starting 11s that played sat, uh, on Saturday evening and granted I think United to be fair to them I think they were missing pretty much their whole right hand side but even with the 11 that went out probably the only Palace player that might get a game for Man United is ironically Wilfred Zaha is the only one <laughs> who you would probably take. And Patrice Evra explained on TV why that well, yeah. wasn't the case anymore, didn't he, this weekend? Jesus. Indeed. Yeah, but he's probably the only one like now that would that would get a game in that, that United eleven. So they can't really look at it and say any other signings would have made a massive difference. Like Definitely not for me. I was surprised Van de Beek didn't start, but then I thought McTominay actually had an alright game. He wasn't wasn't incredible, but you think when he comes into that midfield, they already look stronger. When Wan-Bissaka comes back in, obviously Dan James isn't going to start going forward as well. But I mean, no way you can blame it on that. They should just be good enough to to beat um, Crystal Palace. Yeah, you mentioned Dan James there. Do you think he's good enough for United? A lot of United fans seem to be running out of patience with him. Yeah, I mean, I was quite surprised when they when they. Uh, when they signed them to begin with, because didn't it wasn't at Leeds that it looked like it was mm. pretty much yeah he was gonna and he's been linked with them again now yeah and I know he got off to like the flyer I think early last season and he's kind of he's really tailed off so I don't think he's ever going to be good enough to I don't see him improving to a level that he'll start every week for them he might might be an all right option to to have around but I could see why fans are running out of patience with him just it's too many times on like Saturday where didn't look like he had the confidence to even go at his man and he was just swinging early balls in kind of aimlessly and Martial's he's obviously not that kind of player and looked frustrated with him so I can definitely see why fans are uh, getting a bit fed up with him although I would would say that he's become a bit of a scapegoat unfairly I think he's I know he he is frustrating because he's he's very head down sort of straight line player but He has massively become a scapegoat for the failings of what's going on in the boardroom and in the dugout, I think. So, although he's he's probably not ever going to be a regular Man United start, and he's not, like Podger said, he's never going to improve to be that, but yeah, he has become a bit of a scapegoat unfairly, I think. Mm. Well, someone else who's perhaps becoming a bit of a scapegoat is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He's, <laughs> he seems to be on constant borrowed time at United. Even when they're doing well, his job never seems particularly safe. That can't be helpful to him, can it, and to the club, Alex? Um, I've I have my issues with Solskjaer, and <laughs> I have done since the start. I just he's at Man United. It's arguably the biggest club in the world. Um, you're always going to be on borrowed time, I'm afraid. And my 
underlying issue with it all is would he be Man United manager if he didn't score that goal in 1999? Mm. And the answer is definitely not. <laughs> um, and you can just see from Saturday, um, you know, they were missing Wan-Bissaka, who does a lot of like good defensive work for them. And they didn't have Matic, but they still persisted on playing this like ridiculously high line, got caught out the whole time um, and played Lindelof and Maguire at centre-half. And just that sort of tactical naivety is just going to show up time and time and time again. You know, they you give them the ball like Palace did. I think they had 75% possession on Saturday and they can't do anything with it. It's just such a sterile possession. It's, yeah, it's become a, a massive issue for them and... For me, it's never going to improve with Solskjaer. They, you know, they they get the odd good result against good teams, but they're consistently losing to teams that they should be at home, um, and that just isn't good enough. Mm. Um, yeah, I've I said before that I, if I was Man United, I'd go for Pochettino. He's still on a, he's still available. Um, I thought he's right there, isn't he? It doesn't yeah, make baffles. I thought with they should have got him in the summer, even though the, or even though Solskjaer did a good job to get them in the Champions League, but. Um, yeah, he's. I just don't think he's a good enough coach. Um, yeah, and they're Man United in the long run going to pay for that. Yeah, well, even as a City fan, I get a little sort of wound up by his jolly demeanour <laughs> after a bad result. Like, I know it's not life and death, but he doesn't seem to have the personality required to manage a club with such high expectations for me. I think, like, but that, that, yeah, that is annoying. But I think one positive is he clearly, like, is good with the players personally. Mm. Um, he's clearly an arm around the shoulder manager. Um, and that has helped the likes of Martial um, last season, Bruno Fernandes settling well. But like I say, against teams that they should be beating at Old Trafford, they're not good enough when they're just given the ball because they don't seem to know what they're doing when they have it. Um, it seems to me that Solskjaer's only plan, and the reason they do well against good better sides is because they can just hit people on the break with pace. Um, you have to be multi-dimensional in the Premier League and they're not. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's going to be an issue for them, I think. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned the the new sort of handball law earlier. What did you make of the penalty decision in this match, Padraig? Harsh, I thought. Yeah. Harsh on Lindelof. Um, yeah, he doesn't doesn't know a lot about it. His arms only kind of in that motion because it's just the way people run or people move when when he was trying to retreat back. I mean, and he's clearly not made any attempt to try play it off his if his arm. Uh, when I first watched it live, I didn't even think. I thought nothing of it. I just thought I'd kind of took a nick off him on the way through and then the hair collected it but that probably wasn't even the worst uh, worst decision around the penalties to be fair because <laughs> what came after it I thought was was far uh, far more harsh yeah well I, I mean that penalty sort of made me think back to the Women's World Cup a couple of years ago I remember when they were first kind of trialling VAR there and it's the first time I'd really experienced VAR and I was thinking at the time if they're gonna um, you know have the handballs in this way then you, players are just going to be able to sort of like chip, chip the ball up onto someone's hand and get a penalty, and that's yeah, pretty exactly. much what happened here, wasn't it? Yeah. And also, it's the same in the, the Champions League final, wasn't yeah, it? Last season, yeah. Yeah. Spurs went down to Liverpool early, and it seemed like he pretty much had just been looking to to play it off his arm. Yeah, there was at least a bit bit more distance between yeah. Uh, yeah. the ball and the player in that, in that <laughs> instance as well. Uh, Martin Atkinson, of course, the referee went and had a look at the pitch side monitor before deciding on this one. Do you think when referees uh, go to the pitch side monitor, they have almost a bit of subconscious pressure to change their mind? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, that's yeah, that probably. And they sort of because I know last season there was a lot of uproar that they weren't using pitch side monitor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess in some ways it is good to see them do it. But yeah, you're right. It, it almost seems like they're sort of doing it for no reason if they don't change don't change the decision. Yeah, yeah. But then yeah, the, the decision to look for it then to be retaken was just. I, I mean, I had to watch it about four separate times to work out what had actually happened. It was, I still yeah, don't it get was it, so, Alex. I, honestly, it, well, he was off his yeah. line, wasn't he? And that's the. But it's like it's so. If he is off his line, it, there is like nothing, not enough. I don't think ever to justify a retake. Like I just, I thought it was marginal at best. <laughs> but what I thought was interesting from that is that they changed the penalty taker. I was going to ask you this. Yeah, yeah. Like, should you yeah. be allowed to do that? I don't think you I, should. No, because surely it's the same. Incident, yeah, yeah. And I didn't even realize that you're allowed to do that, to be honest. But, um, yeah, yeah, very strange, yeah. Uh, but you know take nothing away from Crystal Palace this was an excellent performance from them it wasn't a smash and grab um, they did only have 24% possession but they, they thoroughly deserve to win and they've now taken six points from six and um, they're quite dangerous on the break aren't they Padraig? 
Yeah, they've got they've got like quality like the AU uh, Zaha. Obviously, we've mentioned, and even like he's not been given much of a chance yet, apart from off the bench. But when you see like when Abrecht Easy and sort of comes into this team as yeah. well, Richie Bachiwai as well's. Yeah, I, I, I really, I really do like him. I think mm. he'll he'll do well um, over the course of the season for them. But and then obviously, yeah, I think I think Hodgson's really going to treat Easy with like kid gloves, kind of for the time being. Obviously, there seems there is people. A lot of people are quite excited about him. So I think you can understand maybe giving him a bit of a slow roll. But then even if he manages to come in and maybe cement a place down, it is going to make them make them even more dangerous in that regard. Yeah, do you think we were wrong to write Roy Hodgson off before the season, Alex? Um, well, I, mean, I, I, I was only when he wrote him off, really. But it has only been two games. Yes, um, and I think if it's only they... Man United as well. <laughs> <laughs> but if Zaha does leave, I think they will struggle. I I genuinely think Wilfred Zaha is one of the best players in the Premier League and could get in any team in the league. I really do think he's that good. Um, and I think he's just a total game changer for Palace and he proved it again at the weekend. He's he's so good off both feet, he's a good finisher, he's got pace, he's deceptively strong, he's just got everything you need to be a modern forward. Um, and I think if they do lose him, they will struggle a lot. But you can't argue with two wins out of two. It's been impressive. And especially when you look at how they finished last season, I think after lockdown they were... Uh, the worst team in the Premier League, I think, yeah, yeah. in terms of form. So, yeah, the way they've turned it around over the summer has been really impressive. But, yeah, maybe um, let's uh, have a look in 10 games' time and see yeah. where they are. Well, it looks unlikely Zaha's going to leave now, so perhaps he'll, he'll sort yeah. of approach the season with a bit of a point to prove, prove people wrong for why. And also, it, it would have been very, it could have been very easy for him to just sulk, get his head, like, and just, you know, not want to play and yeah. play well. But he's, yeah, he's proved sort of his character, the way he's started this season. So, yeah, no, I'm really impressed by Zaha. Yeah. Uh, on Sunday afternoon, Tottenham got their first points on the board with an emphatic 5-2 win away at Southampton. Of course, on Saturday, Spurs announced the signs of Gareth Bale and Sergio Regulon. How, how, I'm actually not sure how to say his name. Any theories on that? Is it Reguillon, I think? Reguillon, that'll do. We'll yeah. go with that. We'll go with that. Reguillon. Uh, are Spurs' troubles over now, Podrick? Um, probably just beginning. <laughs> and, uh, big Jose there. And these... Uh, yeah, I'm not not really sure about either one of the signings. To be honest, I think they're both good players, but I'm surprised. Like, firstly, with like Reguilon for for getting him in because they already signed Matt Doherty, so that's two quite attacking fullbacks in a Mourinho team, which is quite surprising. I don't think Reguilon's that solid defence. I think he's a really good, um, really good left back going forward, but I'm not sure how he'll adapt to the Premier League and kind of being forced to maybe do a lot more defensive work. So I'm surprised that he's kind of gone that way with these two attacking fullbacks. And then Bale, I mean, everybody knows his quality, but don't really know what you're going to get from you. Obviously, he's not going to be match sharp um, for a while. Although the international break's coming up and Wales always seems to bring the best out of him so maybe he'll come back and kind of hit the ground running. yeah he's not going to play till October is he Bale yeah the, mm. like middle October so I mean he, it's a really interesting one you really I don't even know what kind of Gareth Bale we're going to see because you see on his day like obviously even those times last season that he was he still showed he had it for Spurs but or for Real Madrid sorry but um, just not nearly often enough and obviously not helped by falling out of favour with Zidane so mm. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure it'll definitely be the answer, but it's exciting. I mean, to see what we're going to get from. Yeah, well, he'll be playing alongside Son Heung-min, who scored four goals against Southampton. Harry Kane got the other one, and Kane also got four assists. Uh, but lots of people on Twitter saying Jose Mourinho's players bailed him out in this game. Uh, you know, the football at times was a little bit uh, not great. Let's say, shall we, Alex? Do you agree with that? I'm I'm so conflicted about this game um, <laughs> because I don't want to be that guy and say. Tottenham weren't very good uh, despite winning 5-2 away from home but I think in the first half especially they were appallingly bad and they just they didn't seem to have like any structure going forward I know it's sort of well known that Mourinho doesn't really coach the attacking phases of play mm. but you could sort of you can definitely see that in the first half they just didn't really know what they were doing when they were in the final third I think they had like two touches in the Southampton box before the, before the song goal, uh, right on the stroke of half-time. Um, but then in the second half, 
Kane was dropping really deep, um, sort of playing almost like Totti-esque in, yeah. in sort of the way he'd interpreted like the number nine. He was dropping deep and then playing those really good passes into Son and, and had those four assists. But um, I'm just... And, and obviously that was that was really impressive, but Southampton's defending was absolutely kamikaze at times. So I don't think you can read too much into it. Um, I, yeah, I really don't know. I'm really, really conflicted about Tottenham this season. It is really exciting, but yeah, is Gareth Bale going to, like we said, is he going to be the player that he, he was before he, he left for Real Madrid? I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's going to get too many goals this season. And yeah, Southampton's defending was really, really favourable for them. So... Yeah, I'd, I really don't know. I really, really don't know, to be honest. <laughs> uh, Podrick, what do you make of the decision to leave Deli Alley out of this game? He, uh, you know, Mourinho said it was because they have too many players, but he was also pretty coy when asked afterwards whether Alley might be leaving the club. Paris Saint-Germain is supposedly sniffing around him. Yeah, well, like, he didn't seem to have too many players a, a week ago when Alley played in the, the first game of the season against Everton, obviously mm. had a poor game, and then he's been dropped from the squad both times since and I think there was a report this morning that basically said Deli Ali hasn't actually been told by Mourinho mm. or kind of given any indication as to why <clears throat> excuse me why he's left him out which is just classic Mourinho it's just it's <laughs> the same as we've seen everywhere where he just seems to you'll pick a player or or whoever and it just that's that's the hill that he's gonna he's gonna die on where he's just gonna make it Life very difficult for Deli Ali, and I mean, <laughs> I I do like Deli Ali, but I I do think he can probably do a lot more. I think maybe the last year or so he's kind of dipped a little, but I do think he's a quality player, and I definitely wouldn't be wouldn't be looking to to actively shop him out when you see some of the other players in that team. I'm still not convinced about maybe like Lacelso and the likes, mm. and you also got guys like Lamella and stuff still on the books, and it says it all when if. The, the teams that he's been linked with um, that enter I think is one of them PSG like you said seems to be the big one that, that might actually have a bit of something behind it so he's clearly clearly rated quite highly by other teams but just in the space of a week Mourinho's that maybe there was an uncut scene from like the documentary that we, we don't know about <laughs> well, the, there's the bit yeah. in the documentary when Dali Ali's coming off the pitch and he's complaining about them knocking it long and all ah, that that's right actually yeah I bet right. Mourinho's seen that back and gone right I'm, I'm going to fuck because I don't think I don't think Jose's happy unless he's fallen out with someone unless he's exactly. having a fight with someone is he so yeah I think Dali Ali's going to be his new little uh, uh, I don't know projects in that regard I think, this is, I think him going is probably best for all parties to be honest that like, Ali's been on autopilot for about 18 months um yeah I'm sort of reticent to read too much into that documentary but it did sort of make him out to be quite a bad trainer mm. um and just sort of a bit of a comedy character <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah, yeah. um and I think just him being out of the spotlight of the Premier League and going to somewhere like PSG or Inter and working with quality managers and quality players, I think would just suit him a lot better. And yeah, I, I think it just suit all parties if he went now. To be perfectly mm. honest, what's that bit in the documentary as well when he says, "Oh, I just I I, uh, I cooked beans for the first time the other day. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realise how easy it was." <laughs> Do they sell Heinz beans in Paris? Do you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you can get hold of some. They sell them here in Berlin, to be fair. So maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think Ralph Hasenhutl might be the loudest manager in the Premier League. Like you can just constantly hear him shouting all through yeah. the game. But Podrick, is it a case of empty vessels make the most noise? Because Southampton have started really badly. They defended terribly in this game. I couldn't believe how bad it was at times. Yeah, it's quite surprising as well because they were. We mentioned about Palace being one of the poorer teams kind of after lockdown or pretty much in 2020. I think they were one of the better ones. They they seemed like they were really after that 9-0 against Leicester last season when you thought it's not a lot of managers who might survive a result like that, but they kind of showed faith in them and ended the season really strongly. And kind of, I think people were quite optimistic about about how they could actually perform this season, maybe with a bit of luck challenge for the, the European place and I know it's it's only been two games but like you're saying you can only go on what you've watched and some of that defending was just horrific Like they, for all the, the quality of Harry Kane's assist and Son's running and stuff but they just made it so easy for him to kind of yeah. pick him out and behind mm. every time and it was like suicidal stuff alright so I, I think, don't worry I think this defeat shows just how good a player Hoiberg is Mm. Um, they've sold him and they haven't replaced him at all and you could see that they, 
and Romeo came came off after about 60 minutes. But you could see that where that space is, where Hoiberg normally operates, the defenders were like rushing out to try and to try and fill it. And that's where Kane was. And that's why the the line was so high and how it, and that's why it was so easy to get in, in behind. So yeah, they really need to to replace him and soon. Otherwise, yeah, it could be could be a long season for them actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, elsewhere in North London, Arsenal made it two wins from two when they left it late to beat West Ham 2-1 on Saturday night. Uh, Mikel Arteta looked visibly delighted at the final whistle, but after the game, he came out and said Arsenal had been poor. Is that the best way to react to a bad performance, Alex, or is it kind of easy to be honest when you've played well and still won the game? Yeah, you often see that, don't you? When a team sort of won, but won, won badly, the manager will come out and be a bit honest. Chris Wilder is the is the, the king of that. Mm. Um, but I, I I don't want to be cliched, but a win's a win's a win. Yeah. Um, and there have been plenty of occasions over the past few seasons where Arsenal just wouldn't have won that game. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it sort of shows that you can really tell that Arteta's having an effect now. Um, you know, what was it, an 85th minute winner or something like that? Yeah. You know, Arsenal just wouldn't do that before. So, yeah, I've been really, really impressed with Arteta. And you can just see that they've got a process, they're, they're sticking to it. Um, they've now got a style of play and they've got players, they've got a relatively deep score with players who can come off the bench and score goals. So, yeah, I'd, I'd be really excited if I was an Arsenal fan, to be honest, because, yeah, this is these sort of games they didn't used to win. Yeah, and even after the little spat in the warm-up last week, it was Danny Ceballos yeah. who assisted Eddie Nketiah for the winner. It should, everything's just going right for them at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> and I mean, I don't, and I don't want to sound all Tim Sherwood, but sometimes you do sort of want to see that sort of stuff, that yeah. nastiness, because you know Arsenal have been accused of being too nice in the past, and and they really have, they really have been sort of a bit wet at times. Whereas, mm. yeah, you want to see that, and then those two sort of teaming up for the goal was, yeah, was the perfect way to sort of put a cap on that already. So, yeah, yeah it was, it wasn't an impressive win. But yeah, it's it's three points, and after two games, it's sort of all you can ask for, really. Mm. Uh, Alex Lacazette opened the scoring with his fiftieth Arsenal goal in 129 mm. appearances. Uh, our colleague Lewis Ambrose tweeted during the game that he was playing like a 45 year old. Though, <laughs> Patrick, why do you think uh, Lacazette's so unpopular with the Arsenal fans or the Arsenal fans we know anyway? Well, I've argued with Lewis about this before. <laughs> have been told that take him for my club then if he's. <laughs> yeah. You'd have him at Celtic, wouldn't you? <laughs> Maybe in the bench. Right? Maybe decent <laughs> no, I would though. Like I do, I do actually, I do like him. But I think he's he's just one of those uh, strikers in particular where when he's bad, he's like really bad and just anonymous and not really involved. I don't think in the game that much. And then when he scores, he's just all right. Maybe like I don't think he's ever never going to like take a game by the scruff like Aubameyang did and like the. Cup games and stuff last season. He's just never going to be that kind of player. But in and around the box, if it breaks his way, then I think he's yeah he's a good good finisher. Um, and as I said, I said it to Lewis, but I think he does get a bit of a a hard time. But I can also see the flip side where when he is bad, he's he's just shocking. But yeah, like fifty and one hundred and twenty nine was. That's not bad. It's not terrible, is it? Yeah. And I think he suffers from being next to Aubameyang. Like he's so good that he sort of makes everyone else look bad. Do you know what I mean? I, I like Lacazette. I think he's he's a good he's a good player. He's not going to start every game, but yeah, he scores goals. Yeah, like I say, fifty and one hundred twenty nine appearances is a really good return. So yeah, I, I think Lewis has been a bit harsh there. <laughs> He's a tough man to please. Uh, well, Arsenal were generally pretty pedestrian in this game. Um, Sayed Kolasinac played and was really poor. Bernd Leno looked very dodgy in goal. Alex, do you think maybe selling Emi Martinez and keeping Leno might have been a mistake? Um, I I think in the long run, Len- Leno is the better bet. You know, he's a younger goalkeeper, and and Leno was before the the injury last season. I think he was probably one of Arsenal's best players. Mm. Um, and I know Martinez did really well in the cup run and, and was impressive but I think he also wants to play first team football and, and getting 20 million for him from Aston Villa is a very good bit of business so I think it's one of those where it just sort of suits all parties really and yeah Leno wasn't wasn't great at the weekend but yeah in, in the long run I, I I definitely think he's the, he's the better bet, to be perfectly mm. honest. Well, I mean, Leno's a really good shot stopper, isn't he? I think the, loss, the, the rest of his game leaves quite a lot to be desired. And I wonder the team that Arteta's trying to build, whether he's the right goalkeeper for that. Yeah, yeah, that's probably see. not a bad shot. And you could also see that from... Um, he collided with Danny... I think it was Danny Ceballos, where he came yeah, up to he, collect the ball. Yeah. And he, he obviously didn't shout. They, yeah, he fell over him and, and yeah, let the ball slip from under him. So... 
Yeah, like you say, he's a good shot stopper, but yeah, he could have definitely improved his, uh, the rest of his game. But I, yeah, I personally think he's a better goalkeeper than Martin. So yeah, it's, I don't think that was a too difficult decision for Arsenal, really. Uh, I thought West Ham deserved at least a draw from this game. Might have even won the game on another day. Um, poor Davy Moyes, nothing's going right for him at the moment, is it? <laughs> Mikel Antonio scored his ninth goal since June. No Premier League player has scored more in that period. Um, does it kind of say all about West Ham that he's their most important player, Padraig? Because I like Antonio. I think you know he's he's got great endeavour and he and he's perhaps a bit of an underrated player. But you know all the players they've sort of spent money on over the years, and he's the one who's doing the business for them. It's it seems strange to me. Yeah, I mean, like you spent what was it, thirty-five million for Allaire last summer? And yeah, it's Mikel Antonio that's kind of taken up the the goal scoring burden. Yeah, it's, I'm really worried about them this season. I I do think um, that Suchek's like a really quality signing, and if yeah. they go down, there'll be a lot of big teams um, circling around him. I think he could have a really big season for them, and if he's gonna play well then it, it'll be West Ham's best chance of, of maybe staying up. But yeah, you're right, like Antonio shouldn't be the one that's that's kind of shouldering this all the the responsibility and attack given the it's crazy the money you look at that's been spent on strikers and then when you see like the return it's not even like a recent West Ham thing. I think it's like pretty much their whole time in the Premier League. That's the West Ham way, isn't it? That's yeah. what it means nowadays. Yeah. Well, it, it's, yeah. well, it says everything about West Ham that they beat Charlton 3-0 in the week in the EFL Cup and their front three cost £100 million. <laughs> um, And yeah, and they've got Mikel Antonio up front. He's, he's playing really well, but yeah, they just their business up front has been awful at the moment. I thought they, they went to three at the back and that looks actually quite impressive. Um, and that's probably something that they should stick with going forward. But yeah, I agree with Podrick. I I really worry for them. They've... They just don't really seem to have anything about them. And I think David Moyes is, yeah, a sort of manager lost in time, really. The game's, <laughs> the game's moved on from him and they just, yeah, it just looked very stodgy at the weekend and, and has done since his reappointment. So, yeah, I hate to be the doom monger on this podcast, but I, yeah, I worry for them as well, to be honest. <laughs> now, that's a Netflix series I would watch, David Moyes <laughs> lost in time. That's fantastic. Just the title's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Everton continued their fine start to the season with a 5-2 victory over West Brom on Saturday lunchtime. West Brom went 1-0 up in this game, then Jake Livermore hit the post. Um, that proved to be a massive turning point in the game and after Dominic Calvert-Lewin equalised, James Rodriguez made it 2-1 just before half-time with his first Premier League goal and then Kieran Gibbs was sent off for petulantly lashing out at James. What was he thinking there, Alex? Yeah, it was so stupid, wasn't it? Like Just on, just on half-time as well and... Um, I think uh, Billich said after the game that it was just so naive and, and, and you would expect better from a player that's in his early 30s and has been there and done that in the Premier League before. And they need everything to go for them this season if they're going to stay up. And the, Yeah, they really can't afford senior pros like that doing stupid stuff. So, Welcome yeah, he's only got himself to blame. Out, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's only got himself to blame. Man. <laughs> well, Bilic was then sent off at half-time for coming onto the pitch and remonstrating with referee Mike Dean. Remonstrating, that's a word you only hear in a football context, isn't it? You never hear of anyone remonstrating in Tesco or anything like that. <laughs> uh, was that a deserved red or, or a bit harsh, you think, Podrick? The Gibbs, the Gibbs uh, one or no, the No, the Bilic one. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he actually said a lot. I mean, all he seemed to, I think Mike Dean seemed to take most offence that he kind of was wagging the wagging his finger in his yeah, face but yeah. he didn't yeah he wasn't didn't seem overly aggressive or what he was saying because that's the great thing you can you can pick up a lot of it now without the crowd even heard Seamus Coleman having the the right go at Gibbs as well when he was on the way off and you always think Evans like a real soft spoken well, which he is but it's good to see him kind of have Hamez as back but yeah I thought the Billich one was a bit seemed a little bit harsh yeah. but then let's make Dean that well I would never get involved I'd never give him the chance to make himself <laughs> the, the but I, th- I think Billich, Billich is just such an aggressive bloke anyway yeah. he could be sort of whispering sweet nothings in your ear and it would come across as aggressive yeah. so yeah. yeah well I lost all sympathy for Billich when they showed him sitting in the stands in the second half and he was wearing the mask that wasn't covering his nose I was like oh, oh was he oh, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and I've never, but I've never seen someone so excited to brandish a red card than Mike Dean in that moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did you know that Mike Dean used to work in a chicken factory, and he reckons he was killing one hundred and forty thousand chickens a day? One hundred forty thousand. Yeah, that's insane. Jeff. Yeah. No <laughs> way. Yeah. So you know that, that's where he gets it from, I guess. <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, back to the match. Let's talk about Dominic Calvert-Lewin. A hat-trick for him, taking his tally to four for the season already. This could be a big season for him, couldn't Alex? Especially with the Euros coming up next summer. Do you think he's yeah, got a chance I, of getting in that squad? Yeah, I think there's probably not maybe a player that we'll talk about later on in Lancy, but I don't think there's anyone who's improved as much as Dominic Calvert-Lewin has over the past few months. He's Since Ancelotti's come in, um, he's just playing more centrally. And you can clearly tell that, that like work has gone into his game. He's, I think Carlo Ancelotti said after that he wants to turn him into a Pippo and Zaggy, which is a yeah. terrifying thought. But um, you could really see that from the weekend. Those one-touch finishes, the headers, his movement in, like, in and around the box is great. And he's clearly got a relationship with Richarlison. Well, he had one from last season, which was pretty impressive. And James is coming straight away and added to that already. So... I think he's a really, really, really exciting player. I'm not sure he would start for England ahead of Kane, but he's a really sort of interesting squad player to have. And mm. yeah, it's um, and having a local lad score up front for Everton can only excite the fans. So yeah, he's a he's a really good player. I really like him. He looks like a proper Everton striker, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. I'm not really sure what I mean by that, but you you know what I mean, don't you? Swear, swear. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Calvert Lewin took more shots than completed passes in this game. Which oh, is okay. quite interesting, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on with his hair at the moment, though. I think that needs a bit of work. You know, he's a bit of a style icon, isn't he? But yeah, yeah I think take a look in the mirror there, mate. Uh, question from David on Twitter. He just says, Thoughts on James? Um, I mean, I thought Laid was a great album, uh, Whiplash, but underrated too. <laughs> No, I, th- I think uh, I think Hammers Watch might become a bit of a weekly feature on this podcast. Up the Duffies. Um, he scored a great goal, played some lovely passes in this game, uh, particularly a chip through ball for Richarlison in the build-up to the goal. He's been very impressive so far, hasn't he, Podrick? Yeah, really, really good to watch. Just one of those guys that you know would make you actually want to watch Everton, which are not a lot of people, I think, outside of Everton fans. You know, in the last <laughs> few years, they wouldn't have been... Uh, a lot of neutrals choice to watch the game but you would you'd actively seek them out I think just to watch watch him and watch what he can do like it reminds me actually when Celtic had like Nakamura and there was this guy I'm not sure if he was Scottish or Japanese but he used to get every single game and cut out every time he'd touch the ball in the game and <laughs> oh, right, yeah. like 8 minute uh, like compilation for you and there was never a never a wasted touch like never a wasted pass or shot and it's the exact same like I would watch James Rodriguez Everton eight minute long clips uh, <laughs> of him every week yeah it's just nice touch of class like for the for the league I don't want to put words in your mouth but would you say that goal was a giant peach from James <laughs> <laughs> very good <laughs> Come, they're, they're all coming out today aren't they yeah I thought, no, I thought he was excellent I, I saw a stat that he didn't make a single sprint in the game which I loved really uh, wow yeah and he was but he was just finding those pockets of space and was just yeah he was really really good um, I think West Brom were obviously very accommodating and playing against yeah ten, the 10 man baggies at home isn't when Hammers is going to be uh, yeah totally judged but it's very exciting I had him down as my flop of the season and that already looks like a Same, very yeah. bad shout so <laughs> Um, and I think, and what it's sort of an underrated quality in a football team. But Everton are just really fun at the moment. Yeah. They're really interesting to watch, and you know they, they, that midfield of Decore, Allen, and Hammers is one of the best in the Premier League. Like, it certainly looks that way, anyway. So, yeah, and yeah, it's like Project said, it's you want to watch Everton. They're a bit of a neutral scope at the moment. So, mm. yeah, it's exciting. I was talking to our colleague Daniel Cadena Jordan about James last week, though. He um, watched him quite, you know, intensively at Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. And he said to me, he'll be brilliant for three games, half decent for five, and then injured for 10. So, <laughs> something to keep an eye on there, I guess. Uh, it's shaping up to be a long goal season for West Brom, though, especially if they keep defending so badly from set pieces as they did in this game. They've got Chelsea next week. What do you think Bilic needs to change, Podrick? Not sure if he could, like, actually change a lot because he changed the system for these first two games of the season to what they'd actually been promoted with and he's gone quite defensive and five at the back in both games and stuck Callum Robinson who's not even a centre forward up front on his own which is just it's a, it's a hard enough ask at the best of times against mm. like Leicester and Everton who are two quite exciting attacking free-flowing teams for a striker to be up there alone who's an actual striker but let alone Robinson and then you just look at the defence and it's it's not it's not good enough. I don't think it's not going to be good enough. Like Darrow Shea's decent, like young Irish guy. Like it'd be interesting to see if he does well, but he's just so inexperienced. 
Kyle Bartley is just never a Premier League player, let alone a centre <laughs> half. Like just an absolute thug at the best of times, really. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I I don't think there's a lot he can. He's just working with like the tools he has, and I think the the tools that he has aren't going to be very good. They're, I think like they've got like Diangana and uh, Pereira, obviously good good players going forward, and they'll be they'll come up with some decent moments, like both of them obviously did at the weekend. But defensively, I just don't see how they won't struggle against a lot of teams that they play this season. Yeah, well, in the battle of the other two newly promoted sides, Leeds United got their Premier League their first Premier League points for 16 years when they beat Fulham 4-3 in a topsy-turvy game at Ellen Road on Saturday. Leeds are going to be a lot of fun this season, aren't they, Alex? But do you think their fans need to be a bit worried about the way they're defending at this level? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they really do. Um, but, I mean, that's what Leeds bring to the party, right? And the BL, so we knew it was going to be like this. Yeah. Yeah, they can't really defend. They couldn't really defend in the Championship, but obviously they weren't getting punished quite as much as they are in the Premier League. But um, they're just a lot of fun. You want to watch every Leeds game, and I'd much rather them win 4-3 than 1-0 every, every <laughs> week. So, um, yeah, but, you know, the penalty was, yeah, a very it's a stupid challenge, isn't it, um, from Cox sliding yeah. in. And then Mitrovic was, was decent and sort of caused problems. So, um yeah, I mean, if I was a Leeds fan, I'm, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too concerned at the moment. I'm sure Bielsa has it in him to, um, to change things around and, and do a bit more coaching in the week. But um, yeah, it was a, it was a stupid, stupid game, and yeah, really fun to watch. So. <laughs> Yeah, it was like the, the the game was at 4-3 on a knife edge and they were still pressing really high up the pitch lead. So I was like, what are you doing? But yeah, enjoy the ride, I guess, with them. Uh, at 4-1 in that game, I was ready to condemn Fulham to relegation. They looked totally lost. But their fight back suggests they might have something about them, doesn't it, Podrick? Yeah, I thought they, they did okay, but I, I don't know how much of that is pretty much like you just hinted at, that it was a product of Fulham could concede three or four like most weeks and most weeks teams will shut up shop whereas like you're saying Leeds are just that team who are going to still give you chances and still give you space even at 4-1 up and they kind of switched off a few times from just being relentlessly wanting to get forward and I'm not sure like Fulham will have have teams doing that against them um, most weeks but yeah you got a credit to them they did they did uh, take it back well obviously made it a at a grandstand finish and then Leeds played into their hands a little bit but I'm, uh, I'm still just so worried about them defensively because like Alex was saying there about the Leeds penalty was stupid but the one Fulham gave away yeah, well. Joe, just, Bryan, yeah. Joe Bryan there's just no need to I don't think Bamford's actually going to get there and he still still puts the, the arm on his back so yeah, yeah. He's another one who I think hasn't realised that there's VAR in the Premier League and you'll get caught doing yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scott Parker has some lovely tie clips. Um, he certainly talks a good game in his interviews and press conferences. Are you impressed by him as a man- manager, Alex? Uh, I could not be less impressed. Really? To be <laughs> okay. yeah. um, I'm about as impressed with him as a manager as I am with his cardigan that he wears on the sideline. Um, <laughs> I, well, I just think he's a championship manager and they've got a championship squad to be perfectly honest um, yeah and they won't be as bad as they were the first time the last time they came up but um, Fulham are dead certs to go down for me yeah they're just I just don't think they're very good to be perfectly honest it's as yeah. simple as that they scored three good goals but yeah like we say Leeds defending was very charitable um, they're spending money again but yeah, I just yeah, they're just not a very good football team. I, don't I feel like I'm they just were lucky. Of... They were lucky to come up, and yeah. yeah, you can sort of tell that from the first few games. I feel like I'm just kind of grasping for evidence that Fulham are going to be different than they were last time they were <laughs> yeah. in the Premier League, and that that kind of like you know coming back to make it four three made me think. Well, at least they've got a bit of kind of metal about them this time, but p- perhaps not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Newcastle had a good win against West Ham on the opening day, but then came crashing back to earth with a three 0 defeat to Brighton on Sunday. Podrick, are you expecting another up and down season from the? Magpies this year? Pretty much, yeah. I think they'll probably stay up. I think they'll, they'll be worse teams than them. They end up going down. I think they've probably got enough quality here and there like throughout that squad that they won't go down. But I think there's going to be plenty more days like this one probably for them this season. They, um, they're just so frustrating to watch. Especially their fans must be more frustrated than anyone when it looked like this game they might have Cavani up front and God knows who else playing off them and then they're t- 
takeover hopes were dashed again, but yeah, they, I'm not expecting anything other than we really saw last season. I think Bruce did an alright job, to be honest. I did say he did get a lot of, still got a lot of stick last season for for what he did, but I mean, it's not it's not the best squad in the Premier League, and he's still he managed to keep them up pretty comfortably. But they're just still quite negative, and I'm not sure like Callum Wilson is the kind of player for the money that they spent on him there's there's, no, he had an awful miss at 2-0 in this yeah, game yeah the, the header that was yeah. really but he's just seemed to like close his eyes before he headed it yeah it's, yeah I'm not sure he's really gone off the boil like the last maybe 18 months or so he's he obviously wasn't helped playing in a poor Bournemouth team but yeah. Are you saying to me that signing players from Bournemouth is not the solution? <laughs> signing players from Bournemouth that have had three cruciate injuries for 20 million, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, lots of people raving about Brighton's Tarek Lamptey in this game. He's very good, isn't he, Alex? Yeah, I, t- I said earlier on, Thiago's probably the sign of the season, but Tarek Lamptey is definitely up there. For, in terms of like the money they paid as well, I think it was three million. I don't think there's a player that sort of increased his value in such a short amount of time than Tarek Lamptey over the past two games. He was brilliantly against Chelsea, caused Marco, Marcus Alonso all sorts of problems and he did exactly the same here. He's, you can sort of see that he's, he's that, that teams are targeting him physically at times but because he's like 5'3", five, 5'4", three, five three, five he's quite a small guy mm. but um, yeah, his pace is just phenomenal um, and positionally he looks really good as well so yeah, I think he's a he's been a brilliant sign in, and it just sort of shows that Brighton are doing things well and properly. You know, they took a bit of a gamble to sack Chris Hewton and bring in Graham Potter, but that sort of seems to be paying dividends now. And, and they've got a really good um, director of sports, sporting director in Dan Ashworth, who used to be at the FA and did the England team. So um, they've just got a process there, and you know, you know that even if they go down, they won't panic. Um, I don't think they will go down, but yeah, they're just a very sensible club um, and. Yeah, that Lamptey deal sort of shows all that they're good at, really. Yeah, we, we mentioned before the start of the season that perhaps Southampton might be dark horses this season. Um, that's not looking like a very good prediction so far, but could uh, Brighton be the dark horses, perhaps, Podrick? Uh, Potter at the helm? Yeah, it's not a bad show, I, I think, yeah. Um, I thought they were really good against Chelsea, actually. I thought that they were quite unlucky not to not to come away with something out of that game. And... Um, I think like man for man, their starting eleven is is pretty strong and give most teams a game. It's quite enjoyable as well um, to see Potter obviously playing just like two up front is something you mm. don't see a lot of. And Connolly and Mopai seem to have quite a good understanding. Connolly's been really good, I think, since he kind of burst onto the scene in that Spurs game last season. Mm. And he's a clever wee player. So yeah, I mean, I don't know, top half maybe could if they could squeeze in there, but. I certainly don't think they've got anything to worry about and they're a fun team to watch. So. Yeah. And what do you make of that red card for Eves Basuma, Alex? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a bit innocuous. but It was yeah, an accident, you, wasn't it? Yeah, mm. but you can't really put your foot that high. And yeah, I think there's a bit of a concern about Jamal Lewis now, actually. He's got quite a bad eye injury. Oh, was it? Yeah. So, oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, you yeah you just can't put your foot for that because it was really, the stud so. that went right into his, yeah, his exactly, eye as well, wasn't yeah, it? So yeah. it nasty, but I don't yeah. know. I just feel like those kind of laws, like a lot of the ones we've we've talked about on this podcast, and have been an issue with the Premier League so far. They seem to have been made by people who haven't really played football and don't really understand that you know. Uh, that the ball might touch your hand accidentally and, and that's fine or or you might accidentally you know kick someone while going to kick the ball yeah I mean you, quite... you might move off your line a, a centimeter as a goalkeeper yeah I think with that one the Basuma one and yeah I know what you mean it was clearly an accident but I don't know where do you draw the line and what isn't isn't an accident you know mm-hmm. what I mean I think that yeah you can't and you can't really put your foot that high and get away with it nowadays so yeah I, I get what you're sent off to be honest yeah, fair enough honest. fair enough well we finished the weekend with a six goal thriller at the King Power on Sunday night as Leicester beat Burnley 4-2 uh, do you know there's still been no draws in the Premier League this season oh really yeah and, and on Twitter we had a question from SUFC Luca he simply asked why so many goals Podrick any theories on why we've seen such an incredible amount of goals in the Premier League so far this season? Not really. If anything, you wouldn't have been surprised if it was the opposite. Like Because of the the short layoff between seats, you thought maybe people might be a bit sluggish getting back um, into the swing. But the, a lot of teams, even with like poor pre-seasons or not a lot, maybe one, two games for those who weren't playing in Europe, uh, they've, they've all kind of come back hitting the ground running. Obviously, the fitness levels hadn't 
dipped so much from like the time the last season ended at the end of July. But I've not not any not any groundbreaking theory, I'm afraid, here, Dan, to have to <laughs> We need five goals from these two games tonight, and then that will break the record for the most goals in a weekend in the Premier League. Really? Um, wow. Yeah, so... How far off we are off, we off that uh, Boxing Day in, uh, during wartime or whatever? Pre, <laughs> yeah. pre, pre-war, when it was like 800 goals on, on Boxing Day, yeah. <laughs> yeah. there's like whole uh, months of Premier League seasons now that wouldn't outscore that one match. Yeah. And I think um, already this season, we've had as many hat-tricks and we, as we did in the entirety of the 2006-2007 season. There were three that whole season, and we got three already in two two match weeks. So um, I think it just proves that teams can't defend. Really, <laughs> um, it makes it a lot more exciting to watch. But teams are just terrible at defending. So, yeah. I'm looking forward to Wolves nil, Man City nil tonight. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Harvey Barnes got a goal in this game. Yuri Tielemans also had a really great game, and James Madison came off the bench and looked really enthusiastic. I've got a feeling we could be getting some big seasons from all three of those players. Do you agree, Alex? Yeah, I think, and I include myself in this, people were probably quite quick to write off Leicester after their mm. sort of post-lockdown malaise. Um, but I really, I love Tielemans. I think he's an absolutely brilliant player. And I think Harvey Wines could, is a bit of a dark horse for the England squad for next summer. I think he's a, he's a really, really good wide player. Um, I'm sort of less enthusiastic about Madison, but um, I, Leicester look good. Like, and mm. what... You can just tell that Brendan Rodgers is a proper coach, and they've clearly had time to like work on things over over the past sort of few months and since lockdown, and that's all sort of clicking into place now. I would slightly worry with in that respect with them once the Europa League gets started. Yeah, um, there'll be sort of less time to actually like be on the training pitch and work on things. But for the moment, I think that. Yeah, they, they look really good again. But the only worry would be that it's a repeat of last season where they started amazingly well and fell off a cliff post Christmas. So, um, yeah, sort of tentatively, I'm impressed with Leicester at the moment. <laughs> uh, well, that was Brendan Rodgers' 100th Premier League win as a manager. As a Celtic fan, you must be delighted for him, Podrick. Oh, absolutely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's great, great to see him continuing his success. Surviving and thriving, yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Podrick, what can you tell us about Leicester's new signing, Cengiz Under? They've got him alone from Roma for the rest of the season. Um, not to get another dig in it, Brendan Rodgers, but I think that's just a classic uh, one of his signings, like in the the mould of some of the the ones he made at Liverpool, like Iago Aspas and these kind of guys. Right, I okay. think it's going to go pretty much the same way. I really don't rate him all that much. He like arrived. Rome, I think two years ago, three years ago, like quite big expectations, and he's never really, never really fulfilled it at all. He's like quite quick enough winger, and he's he's like decent on both sides. But he really, if he's not in the game, he'll he'll not offer a lot. And I think he's really stagnated in terms of what I think Roma thought they were going to get mm. from him, and they've probably done quite well actually out of this deal. Like there's still a club who kind of are always mindful of FFP and stuff. I think they'll be quite happy actually to offload him. I really don't see him. He he'll be he can be my uh, flop of the season. I'll oh think. really? Oh wow. Well, I enjoyed Leicester's unveiling tweet for him with the uh, yeah, the, the, good, the yeah. Undertaker thing. The that was quite yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sean Dyche was saying before this game that some players think they've got the Premier League sussed out, but you have to keep working hard. I thought Burnley were pretty good in this game. They're going to be all right, aren't they, Alex? Yes, they won't go down. But there are sort of rumblings of sort of something going on behind the scenes at Burnley, I think. There, towards the end of last season, Sean Dyche, for the first time, was critical of the owners. Um, they didn't get, I think it was four players who were out of contract. It took them ages to get that sorted. And Jeff Hendrick left on a free, who was one of their better players. Mm. Um, I like Dwight McNeil, um, but I think he sort of... You can just sort of tell how good a job Sean Dyche has done by the fact that Dwight McNeil is probably their only like decent Premier League player in that in that squad. Um, I I think Sean Dyche might leave before the end of the season. Oh, okay. Um I just and I, but he won't be sacked. I think he might just walk out and leave and and get another job somewhere else. Because mm. yeah, I think yeah, he's like I said, he was critical for the first time over the summer and he's sort of said a few things since that sort of make me a bit worried. So, yeah, I'm, 
God, keep an eye on Burnley, I think. I could see Aston Villa maybe part in company with Dean Smith yeah. at some point and Deitch going there, perhaps, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Did you hear what sounded like him calling someone a fucking pussy during the game last night? <laughs> <laughs> on BBC <laughs> One as well. <laughs> My grandma might have been watching that. Fucking <laughs> okay, hell. <laughs> uh, well that's all we've got time for this week thank you to Alex and Podrick for joining me and thank you to everyone for listening if you want to get in touch with the show the email address is podcast at onefootball.com or you can tweet us at onefootball I've been Dan Burke this has been the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast and in the immortal words of Mike Dean off you pop <laughs> <laughs>